one of the things I have discovered doing this, it is very rewarding. I have gained a, an education in something I thought I knew about, but actually didn't. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. This is part two of my interview with researcher and volunteer Steve Booth. If you've got time, I'll give you one more. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Um, doing the uh, the uh, Pearl Harbor project, uh, I was I was mostly doing Army, and the Navy does things much different than the Army does, and so it took me a few you know a few tries to to catch up with what's going on. And so, and I found different resource centers uh, that I could use. So I was pouring over one that had all of the uh, sailors that were lost in, around, in and around Pearl Harbor in that area and were buried in Honolulu. And they had a list of all their names. And I'm looking at it and all of a sudden I see my namesake. Sailor by the name of Robert Sinclair Booth Jr. Uh, born in North Carolina, his father worked in government. They ended up moving to Washington, D.C., where he grew up. Uh, in high school, uh, Robert said he wanted to be an electrical engineer. Uh, enlisted in the Navy uh, Reserve in 1940. And then in July of 1940, uh, a month later, he received an honorable discharge from the Naval Reserve and was appointed a midshipman with the, with the uh, uh, or no, he was uh, sent to uh, officer candidate school. And so when he graduated from that, he went from enlisted to a major, or a, they call it an ensign. Uh, it's the same thing as the first lieutenant. Um, so that's what he did. And then he, he went into engineering. So he became part of the engineering crew uh, on the USS Arizona. Uh, he was on the Arizona the morning of December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese attacked and uh, went down with the ship. It was lost uh, when, the, when the Arizona went down. Um, I don't think that they have yet identified 
uh, his remains yet, but they're still, they have a major project going on to identify these guys that went down on the Arizona and the Oklahoma and all that. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is that uh, after, after he died uh, in December of 1941, uh, the United States Navy decided to name a ship in his honor and asked his mother to be the sponsor which is heavy duty with the, with the Navy. I mean, they, the sponsors of ships are pretty much renowned uh, and, they, and it's only women that can be the sponsors. So in, 19, in 1943, January of 1943, they started the uh, process of building a ship that they named the USS Booth. And it, uh, his mother was there, uh, when it was commissioned in September of 1943, she broke the champagne bottle on the hull and away it went. And it, uh, uh, it went out and supported the war effort. Uh, and afterwards, uh, the, when the war ended, the uh, army sold the ship uh, to, to another country and uh, they renamed it. So we've got, we've got a ship. Do you know what, what kind of ship it was? Was it uh, just I have it. Let me find you. Yeah, I've a got transport or a tanker or uh, it wasn't a destroyer. Um, a cannon class destroyer escort. So it was an escort for uh, the 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 destroyers the the gunships. Um, Provided escort service to submarines and air attack for Navy vessels. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was built in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, shipped to Cape Cod where they completed it and then commissioned it there. Um, so, are I, you re you related to him at all, or just have the same last name? Shirt, shirt tail relative, yes. Yeah, and I and again, I just happened to be looking for something else, and happened to see his name, and uh, I did some research. His uh, his father, and my father and my uncle are all traced back in their genealogy to Julius Brutus Booth, who was John Wilkes Booth's father. Oh wow! Yeah, so we're re we're. We're related back that far. Well, it looks like the booths have changed the course of history lots of times then. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my grandson, uh, one of my grandsons did a, a project. You were talking about getting somebody, a, a veteran, to come and talk to your, your class. Uh, when he was in the fifth grade, the, the whole school, the whole fifth grade class had a project, pick your, you know, whatever your, uh, whatever you want to do. And so my grandson said he wanted to do his on D-Day. And I said, that's a pretty big project. That D-Day, you, you could spend years doing that. And so he said, what should I do? And I said, let me have you talk to my uncle. And so uh, he got to get, my uncle got together with my grandson and they decided to do his project on uh, a beach called Slapton Sands. Uh, 
the beach was an English beach, but it was uh, in uh, geography, it was, it was as close to Omaha and Utah Beach as they could get. <clears throat> and so the, the 743rd was practicing the landing. And so they sent these GIs out in the middle of the night into the water and they had uh, the flotation devices that they had were around the middle. It was kind of like a donut around the middle. And what happened was when they went into the water, they had a pack on their back. And so it immediately flipped them up, yep, flipped them upside down. And because it was dark, nobody could see it. And so the next morning when the sun came up, they had 300 or so soldiers upside down in the water. And so they had to, re, they had to hurry and replace them. Um, they had to hurry replacements in. Uh, so the, the 743rd got a pretty good influx of uh, new recruits. And those were the, actually the guys that went in on D-Day. Um, they, they, they finished their, uh, uh, their training uh, in a different way, um, but uh, they, they joined up in the way they went. Uh, the interesting thing about this is my grandson decided that, like I say, he, he said that's a good idea. And so my uncle told him, he said, because he found out that they all were gonna present to the entire school. They were going to have one day where they put them in an auditorium and, and they had booths and they had to have uh, displays and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, my uncle volunteered to go with him and uh, talk to the parents and whoever came in. And so I picked my uncle up. He, he, my uncle was awarded the Silver Star uh, while he was in uh, uh, Belgium during the... Uh, during the Battle of the Bulge. And so I got his, his Silver Star out and all kinds of memorabilia from his service. And so we added that to my grandson's table and the people were just flocking around him. I mean, it was really wonderful. That's so cool. <laughs> That's, it's sad though, cause they're all dying. That generation is dying and there's so few of them left. They are. They are, yeah, in fact, the, uh, <clears throat> about a year ago, we lost the, uh, uh, the last one, the last uh, tank commander that was involved in the, the liberation of uh, the train in Magdeburg. Oh, so wow. those, those guys are all gone. There's, a, there's an author you might be interested in, or somebody else might be interested in. There's an author by the name of Matthew Roselle. Uh, he was a history teacher in Hudson Falls, New York. And um, one of the tank commanders, his name was uh, Harold Walsh, uh, but he went by Red. They gave him the nickname Red because he had red hair. Uh, but uh, he and George Gross, who were the tank commanders that, that found those guys, uh, Walsh's daughter lived in Hudson Falls. And her husband knew that uh, Matt Roselle was interested, a World War II buff and the whole bit. And he told him one day, he said, uh, uh, my father-in-law had, had moved from that area to Florida. 
but he's coming back to spend the summer with us. Would you like to be able to sit down and speak with him? And Roselle jumped at the chance. And so he took a camera with him and the whole bit and recorded for a little over two hours. I watched the, I watched the interview. Uh, and Walsh was quite a guy when he came back from, he was, he was in law school before he went into service. And when he was discharged, he came back uh, and he and another guy, before they went into service, they sat for the bar exam and they passed it. So when the two of them came back, they found out that they didn't have enough credits to graduate from law school. So they had to go back for one more uh, semester and then they, then they graduated. So Walsh went into a, a career as a lawyer and then he became a circuit court judge in uh, the Albany area. And he also sat part-time on the New York Supreme Court. Uh, quite a jester, uh, quite a joker. Uh, he and Gross were just really good buddies. But to get his goat, uh, Walsh would tell uh, new recruits, they'd go up to him and say, hey, did you know this Gross guy was a boxer? And they really, and he said, yeah, he had a championship boxer. And he did, he was a boxer. But uh, Walsh was getting after him. He says, yeah, he's a championship boxer. Uh, he could box more oranges in California than anybody. <laughs> Gross would go after him for that. But um, so in the interview, uh, yeah, it's like I say, it was over two hours. And finally, when they looked like they were getting done, Walsh's daughter walks in the room and you can hear her. She says, dad, did you tell him about the train? And Walsh says, oh, I forgot all about that. So he started telling Roselle the story of the train near Magdeburg. And Roselle, being a history teacher, and he's also an author, decided that he was going to do some research. So he did some research for about six years. And he finally wrote a book that's called A Train Near Magdeburg that has the stories that are the pictures that... Uh, George Gross took and the one that uh, uh, Major Benjamin took. And so those are all, that's why they're included in that website. But the book is an absolutely riveting story of how these guys found that train and what they did to help save these people. They, they sent tankers into the local towns in the area and ordered the German far farmers to stay up all night long so they could get some food back to those people on the train. And then they picked up the people from the train and they took them back into the cities and they said, you are going to take care of these people until somebody can come and get them. And then Walsh uh, organized because he ran into one of the survivors from the train. She contacted him in, uh, I think the late nineties because he had gotten pretty famous with this book that he was researching. Uh, he organized a reunion between the survivors that could make it from the train and the soldiers that rescued them. And they did it in, at his high school in New York. Wow. So he, brought back, he brought them back together. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I posted my uncle's notes on... Uh, uh, there's a 743rd Tank Battalion uh, uh, 
group on Facebook and I posted my uncle's notes just for giggles. And like an hour after I posted it, Roselle sent me a, an email and said, I wanna talk to you. And so we've been, we've been keeping up ever since. Wow. So I always like to ask uh, people, why do they, why do you do this? And has it changed you at all? Or your perspective on life or who you are as an individual, like doing these stories? Absolutely. No question about it. Um, I was always in awe of the fact that my uncle was served in World War II and was in the tank battalion. And some of the stories he told were absolutely fascinating. And then when I started doing this, like I say, he, he kind of touched all of the safe areas. Uh, and now doing this research, I'm finding out how, how horrible it was uh, for those guys. Uh, there was a period of time uh, when they were going into, uh, into Belgium during the uh, uh, Ardennes campaign, which is the Battle of the Bulge they were pinned down and buttoned up in their tank for 12 straight days because they were, they were under fire and everybody was in a tank and that's where they were for 12 days. He, wow. told, me, he told me another interesting story. While they were, while they were it was around Christmas time, they were surrounded by uh, German forces and German tanks uh, in a town in, in Belgium called Stabilot. And the allies took uh, refuge in a hotel there. And he said in that hotel, he met a tank destroyer commander. They go out and destroy tanks. And the guy, he said, the guy was kind of a, a braggart and, you know, a hotshot and that kind of thing. And so he was telling him about finding a, a group of seven or eight German tanks crossing a bridge. And so he said, what we did was we hit the first tank and disabled it. We hit the last tank and disabled that one. And all of the rest of them were sitting ducks. And a little while later in the conversation, uh, the guy said, uh, I'm an author. I write books. Have you ever heard of me? And my uncle said, no. And now I'm having a a senior moment guy that writes cowboy stories only one i know is louis lamore but he's that's the one what he said i'm louis lamore have you ever heard of me and my uncle says no and he says today i wished i'd have got his autograph what? That's, that's who it was uh, i <laughs> love louis lamore books i've read so many of those yeah wow. yeah that he, these two guys were sitting with, of course, with the rest of their troops, but sitting in the basement of a hotel with no place to go and just telling stories back and forth. He said that another interesting part about that same thing was the proprietor of the hotel, or at least the person that was running it, probably the daughter of the owners, uh, was down there with them. And she had a young man, a young Belgian man with him, with her, uh, and... Uh, he was getting pretty drunk and started 
he, he wanted to go, go out into the street and take care of the Germans. And the, the Allies said, no, you're not going to do that. You can't do that. No, he said, I'm going out. So finally, they grabbed him and they tied him to a chair. And about every 30 minutes, they'd give him another drink just to keep him there. So they, they managed to get out of there okay. Uh, about 10 years before my uncle passed away, now it was probably 15 years before my uncle passed away, he and my aunt went to Lava Hot Springs in Idaho. And they were in a hotel, they were sitting waiting to go into the dining room. And he said, there was this older woman sitting next to me waiting to get a table. And she was knitting or crocheting and humming a song. And he said, that sounded really familiar. And so he started a conversation with her and said, uh, are you French? And she said, no, I'm Belgium. And my uncle said, are you, are you, are you the, the, the young woman from the hotel in Stavelot? And she said, yes. She, she had married the fiance so now they were man and wife, but many years later, they, my uncle ran into that couple up in Lava Hot Springs in Idaho. That wow, amazing? what are the odds? That's insane. Yeah. Wow. So he, said they, he said they reminisced for a while and, you know, it was really fun. That's so cool. Wow. So with, what advice would you have to anybody thinking about uh, volunteering? Um. It's a good thing to do. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I have a little bit of time on my hands so I can do it. But the other thing I've learned from your dad is even if you do one a month, it helps us get along the way. I've probably done a, between 150 and 200 stories right now. Um, that, that's because I've got a little more time on my hands. But uh, it's one of the things I have discovered doing this, it is very rewarding. I have gained a, an education in something I thought I knew about, but actually didn't. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on today. I've learned so much. It's been just so insightful and inspiring. And I just want to say thank you for, for volunteering and taking your time to do this. It's, it's amazing the work you've done so far. My pleasure. Thank you so much for spending your time with us listening to these amazing stories of these fallen heroes. If this is content you want to keep hearing, please consider sharing this podcast with others. The more we grow our listening base, the more people we can reach, the more impact we can have, the more volunteers we can find, and the more stories that get told. So if you like this content and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please follow us and share and find us on any social media platform you'll and and follow us there and then most importantly check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org click the volunteer button and join the star core thank you <laughs>